All right, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Praise the Lord, appreciate the song. It's a promise the Lord gave us. He'd never leave us nor forsake us. He's always with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to pick up in verse 17. I'm going to read down to the end of the chapter. It says, Now on this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. How much you like to get a letter like that from an apostle? That you come together not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there are to be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. There must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which I also, also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he is betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for the other. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. The title of the message this morning is, Remembering Our Lord, Remembering Our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, that we have uh, your word and your instructions recorded for us, the teachings that you've given to your churches. We thank you that we have it preserved for us in, our, in, our, in, your, in the word of God. We pray that you'd help us as we look at this passage of scripture, give us understanding and wisdom and Help us, Father, to uh, 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 submit ourselves unto you and, and to understand this area of the Lord's table and what it means to us and how we are to practice. We do thank you again for your love and your mercies. And we do pray if there be any in our midst this morning who had never been born again, the Spirit of God would work in their hearts this morning and reveal that to them so they can come to an understanding of the truth and have eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Lord's table, or the Lord's memorial meal, as some call it, or the Lord's supper, or communion, all those terms are actually used to describe the Lord's table, or the Lord's supper, has become somewhat of a novelty of sentimental value, or emotional feelings of people t- togetherness. You know, we have churches that 
put on their billboards and their signs, you know, come have communion with us, you know, around Easter and Christmas, particularly, they do those things. And, and so there's a great misunderstanding of what the Lord's table really is. Um, back in 2011, there was an ad prepared to be aired during the Super Bowl. And uh, this ad was uh, put out by Pepsi and Doritos, I think. Um, and you can still see it on YouTube. But it's, it was the title of the ad was, Feed Your Flock Doritos and Pepsi Max. But it was banned uh, during the Super Bowl. But the ad was still uh, used, I think, from what I understand. And, um, but it, it, it portrayed a, a church that needed, an, an, you know, whether it was Catholic or some kind of looked like priest dressed anyway. They were, and they were, two of them were having a discussion about they need to increase their flock because they had a stack of bills laying on the, the, the priest's desk. You know, they need to pay. So they need to increase their flock. So he, he gets out and he goes out in the auditorium and he sits down and he's praying and, and, and asks the Lord how to increase his flock. And, he, and a bag of Doritos appears. And so he, he, he has, and, and the, the short of the thing is, Ed is, so they have a communion service, and they advertise it on a sign, serving Doritos and Pepsi, and, and, the, and, and they, you know, they show it you know, in the church, and they have these lines up, and, and if you want ranch style, it's over in that line. Uh, and, 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 and so the line is clear out the door. You know, and this is an ad that was going to be aired during the Super Bowl in 2011. And so there's much... You know, so so the, you know the Lord's Supper has been relegated to some as a a gimmick or an evangelistic quote unquote tool. But the Lord's Supper is not about us. It's about Him. It's not about our feelings, but a remembrance of what Christ did for us and His coming again to receive us unto Himself. So this morning I'd like to look at this, and as we consider remembering our Lord, I want to notice four, uh, three things, and I have several sub-points, but first, or actually I have four points. First of all, the participants of the Lord's meal, then secondly, the practice of the Lord's meal, and then actually there is three, the prospect of the Lord's meal. So the, first of all, the participants of the Lord's meal, you will notice that in our text, Five times in these 17 verses, it says, ye come together. Ye come together. Verse 17, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Verse 18, first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Verse 20, when ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, and again, verse 33 and verse 34, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for the other, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And, and then again in verse 22, it says, uh, What have ye not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? I, shall I praise you in this? I praise you. Not So he says you're not to despise the church, or we could say despise the assembly. That's what church is. Uh, 
so, so this, was, this was something that was uh, given or commanded to the church of Corinth. They were commanded in chapter 11, verse 2. Paul told them to keep the ordinances. That word ordinances means teachings that, that have been given to them. And, and this Lord's Supper was first instituted in a church setting to a church. So participants of the Lord's meal are the members of the church. You go to Mark chapter 14. There's some interesting things here I want to point out. Uh, when the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper in Mark chapter 14, in verses 12 through 20, it says, In the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? He sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go you into a city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say to the goodman of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large, keep that word in mind, large upper room furnished and prepared, there make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the supper. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve, and as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him, One by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve. That dippeth me in the dish. Now, one of those several things in this passage of Scripture, first of all, they met in a large room. Now, the word large is megos in Greek. It means spacious. In fact, the word is used this way in Luke 12, 18. He said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I restore all my fruits and my goods. Uh, in Luke 16, 26, besides all this... Between us and you, there is a great, a megas gulf fixed. So when he says it's a large upper room, he's talking about a very large room. A very large room. What you notice also, it was also, it was already furnished and prepared by other disciples. Verse 15 says, He will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared, there make ready for us. Uh, you know, it is believed that this, this upper room, this is the same upper room, and it is very likely uh, uh, that was used in Acts chapter 1 and verse 13. In fact, many commentators believe it was owned by John's parents. They were wealthy people in Jerusalem. And so they had this, this place. But anyway, it's believed to be the same upper room that they met and it's more than likely there was more than 12, the 12 apostles there. Now, why do I say that? Well, in verse 20, it says this, And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the 12. You know, I believe that Jesus is saying, Jesus sat at a table with the twelve. And that there were probably more than twelve people in that room. But he said, it's one of you twelve that's going to betray me. One of you twelve. 
And of course, you know, you know, his disciples made ready, verse 16, and then verse 17 again it says, In the evening he cometh with the twelve. So some disciples had made ready, and then he came later with the twelve. So again, I would say there was more than twelve involved here. But he singles out one of the twelve that would betray him, so he sat with the twelve. Uh, and, and as we come to Acts chapter 1 again, you know, very soon after this, there is more than 12 actually meeting in that upper room, although Peter dresses the 12. You know, and he, in Acts 1-4, speaks of like he's talking to the 12. It says he commanded them, and, but, but yet, you know, they're all meeting there in that upper room, 120. You see, that was the first church. The first church just wasn't 12. It was they had a 12 that were being trained as a pastoral staff. But there were more than 12. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 26, 30, at the conclusion of the first Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn. Verse X, or Matthew 26, 30 says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out in the Mount of Olives. And Hebrews 2, 12 tells us that Jesus sang in the midst of his church. It says, sing and I, saying, I will declare unto thy brethren, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. So, so these were the participants of that first Lord's Supper. It was his church. And it was given to the church. So this, is, this Lord's Supper, then, we would say, is for the members of the Lord's church. For those who've been born again by the Spirit of God have coveted together through baptism or have joined the church. Because baptism is the door of entrance. You know, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 tells us, as, we, as you, you really think about what the Lord said in, in what we call the Great Commission, <coughs> in, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. So you're to go forth and you're to teach all nations concerning the doctrines of salvation and you're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Your baptism is really a picture of salvation. So they're to teach the doctrine of salvation and baptism, which is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians Chapter, what is it, uh, uh, 15, that is the gospel. Uh, so to be born again means you accept Christ's death as payment for your sin. His resurrection assures you of the life of God. So it's to be given new life, to be born again, to be born anew. That's what salvation is. And baptism pictures that. And so he said you're to, you're to teach them concerning the doctrines of salvation and baptism, which pictures salvation, and when they're baptized, you teach them to observe all things. And one of those observances is the Lord's table. But see, it follows baptism, which is the door of entrance to the church. You know, when a person rejects baptism... What are they really saying? They're really denying Christ. And so we would say then that, that from these things that the participant for the Lord's meal is the members of the church. 
You know, these places have open communion. How do you know if people come in or if they're even saved? You know, we had a lady walk in here one Sunday morning looking for communion. She wanted, she wanted communion. She thought she had right to the Lord's table. You could smell alcohol in her breath. You see, it is the Lord's, it's not ours. And he determines who the participants are. Secondly, the practice of the Lord's meal. If you notice, we'll notice several things here. It is called the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. And if you notice in verse 23, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. But the Lord Jesus, same night in which he betrayed, took bread. So this is a practice the Lord gave to his churches, and it is he that sets the qualifications and there's two things I'm going to notice here, in particular, as we think about the practice of the Lord's meal, or the Lord's table. First of all, proper elements. Proper elements. And there are two elements to the Lord's table, and they are the bread and the cup. So let's look at the first the cup. When he given the bread, when he given thanks, he break it, verse 24, and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of of me. So the bread, he says, is my body or a symbol. Of course, these things are symbolic. They're not the actual body and blood of Christ. Um, you know, that's, it, it's all, it's all, you know, Jesus made that clear in John chapter 6. You know, he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life of you. And, and of course, many were offended at that saying, and the disciples asked him about it, and he said, well, it's, it's, it, it is, it's the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. So he was talking about spiritual things or symbolical things and bread here speaks of his body that was broken for for us and you know if you eat bread you have to break it you're breaking it and it should be unleavened bread and we say that for two reasons number one the Passover meal was eaten with unleavened bread and this is what is pictured here uh, in Exodus chapter 12, very clearly spells it out. And even in First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the end of that verse says, For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So he's our Passover. God passes over our judgment and put his judgment on the Lord, so he passes over us. We're no longer condemned because we've trusted in Christ. So he is our Passover. So this meal, this observance of the of remembrance of the Lord should be with with, uh, with unleavened bread, like as the Passover. And, and leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible. So why do we want to use something that has leaven in it that pictures sin? When our Savior was sinless and could not sin. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, chapter five verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8. It says, for your glorying, is, your glorying is not good. Know you not the little leaven, leaven up the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, so leaven is, picture, is a picture of sin, uh, Jesus told the disciples in Mark 8.15, he charged them saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. 
And he's talking about their, 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 their false doctrines, their sin. And he called it leaven. So, so as we partake or remember the Lord in, in the Lord's table, we should use unleavened bread. Because it pictures a body that was without sin. Without sin. Who knew no sin? And so, the unleavened bread. The second thing is, the cup or the fruit of the vine. In verse 25, it says, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, in every reference in the New Testament that you would look, and I won't take time to turn to all these, but if you go to Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 to 29, where he talks about the Lord's table, or Mark 14, we just read, or Luke 22, every reference is referred to, it either refers to the, as the cup or the fruit of the vine. The Bible never uses the word wine in reference to the Lord's table. Even though that word is used in the Bible generically, and it can be translated either uh, uh, fermented or alcoholic, or unfermented or non-alcoholic, depending on the context. But the Bible never uses that, even that word in reference to the Lord's table. It always says cup or fruit of the vine. To me, that leaves it without question. It is unfermented grape juice. Unfermented fruit of the grape. Uh, you know, Proverbs, of course, Proverbs 20 and, and chapter 23 clearly condemn the alcoholic, drinking alcoholic wine. And the process of turning grape juice, again, into alcoholic wine is a process of decay requiring yeast or leaven. The priests in the Old Testament were forbidden, forbidden to drink strong drink. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11 says, The Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong Greek, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that you may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. And Jesus was our, is our high priest, and Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy law, but I come to fulfill it. Matthew 5, 17. And he fulfilled the law as our high priest, and for him to drink or institute a Lord's Supper with alcoholic wine would be a contradiction of himself. Because he is the Word of God. He'd be contradicting himself. So as you think about the practice, there's two elements here. There's the bread, the unleavened bread, and the fruit of the vine. You know, red grape juice looks like blood. And that's what it's a symbol of. Christ's blood that was shed for the remission. Or that word remission means the sending away of our sin. I thank you for the blood of Christ which sends away our sin. It's no longer held against us. And juice, red grape juice, is a fitting symbol of that blood that was shed for our sin. So, so there, and then the only thing the second thing was to th- think about the practice is the preparation of the church. And I want you to notice three things here. We are not, first of all, we are not to partake unworthily, or the meaning of that word is in an unworthy manner. Now, because if we were to not take unworthily, we have to ask this question: 
Are any of us worthy? Now, it doesn't mean that we're worthy, that whether we're worthy or not, it means in an unworthy manner. Let me try and explain that to you. Uh, if you notice here in verse 21, you know, it, ha- it has to do with, it doesn't have to you know, do with our standing before God, whether we're saved or not. not you know, again, none of us are worthy. It, in the context, it has to do with uh, gluttony and despising the church. Uh, notice verses 21 and 22 and then verse 34. It says in verse 21, For in eating every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. And then verse 34, he says, And if any man hunger, lead him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Now, some, and you know, the, the church at Corinth, and, and it, from what you know, is believed from history, that many of the churches, early churches, had, had also what they called a love feast, or a feast of charity, uh, that, they would, that they would observe. So like we do today, we have a carry-in dinner, a time of fellowship. But that carry-in dinner or that love feast at Corinth, because of their divisions, which we learned about earlier in the book, you know, there was different classes of people. And so there were, there were poor who had very little, and they would bring, you know, if they could brought anything, it was just a little bit. Not enough to really satisfy their needs. But there were others who were wealthy, who were bringing lots of food, and, but they weren't doing it like we do. They didn't put it on a table. And everybody passed by and just take whatever was convenient. No. The wealthy were sitting over here with all their food and their drink and making gluttonous themselves. And the poor people were over here famished. Now, we don't know exactly what, why these people were poor, but you know, in those days, it could have been because they lost a job because they got saved. Because that was real life back then. It may not have been any choice of their own. But the, see, the rich, or those who had, were not sharing. And that's what he says here in verse 34. He says, If any man hunger, let him eat at home. Let you come not together under condemnation. They were under condemnation because of this. And again in verse 21, For in eating everyone taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. So some had turned the Lord's Supper into an intemperate feast, an opportunity to flaunt their own superior spirituality, quote-unquote, and wealth before others. You know, the Lord's table is not about satisfying our physical appetites. Not a church picnic or carrying dinner. And so to eat or drink unworthily here in this context speaks of not discerning the Lord's body, which is the church. In other words, they weren't giving any consideration to other members of the church and thereby causing division in the church. After all, the Lord's Supper is, a symbolic, is symbolic of spiritual unity in the church. Look at chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. The cup of blessing which with we bless, 
Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Now, what is the body of Christ? It's church. And so the Lord's Supper speaks of unity in the Lord's body or the Lord's church. It's called here in, in chapter 10 the communion of the body. And so these selfish actions of Summit Corn showed they had no concept or concern for unity in the church. They were only concerned about themselves. It was in their minds, it was their church. <laughs> and they did what they wanted. Sort of like the children of Israel in the book of Judges, where they lost regard for the truth of God and his commands, and decide, well, let's just make leagues with the nations that, in whom we dwell. And so they had violated, and by this, they had violated the greatest commandment that Jesus gave. And what was that? We are to love one another. And so that was, that was the, that's what, in context here means, Taking it unworthily means not giving consideration to the unity of the church and understanding the need for unity of the church and concern for other members of the church. Secondly, we are not to partake if there are divisions. Verse 18, he says, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. The word divisions has, speaks of the fruit of carnality. It's simply walking in the flesh. You know, we want our own way. It talks about persisting in our own way. And again, not submitting to the Lord and to the Spirit of God. Uh, you know, Proverbs 13 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. Uh, and if, you know, if your life is full of contention, because it's full of pride. You know, Philippians 2, in verses 2 through 4, Paul told the church at Philippi, and he actually named two people in this, in this epistle. But in Philippians 2, 2 through 4, he says, Fill you my joy that you be like mine, that having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And again, all that comes, that strife and vainglory comes by carnality, which was very evident at the church at Corinth. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, and so there was these divisions that were there uh, in the church, and and then there were also he he speaks of heresies in verse verse uh, uh, verses uh, um, verse eighteen, but I think it's verse nineteen. Verse eighteen says, "For there must also be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you." Now, a heresy is a division over doctrine. A heretic is a guy who, who raises himself up and causes divisions in the church, spreading things that the church does not teach. You know, an example of this would have been those that went out from Jerusalem and went down to Antioch and said to those believers in Antioch, you must be circumcised to be saved. What were they doing? They were teaching a divisive doctrine that was not taught at the church of Jerusalem and wasn't sent out from the church of Jerusalem. Yeah, you know, they were also infecting the church at Jerusalem. Paul battled that all his life, and the root of it was the church at Jerusalem. So they always had these people in the church at Jerusalem with this heresy, you have to be circumcised to be saved. 
And the Bible says that a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject him. Now we know, we're going to get to chapter 15 eventually, there were heresies in the church at Corinth. Some had even denied the resurrection of Christ. So, so these were the things that Paul addresses that, church, you need to get right before you observe the Lord's table as a church. To participate in the Lord's table with these divisions and disrespect for the Lord's body or these heresies is to bring damnation. Now, where damnation here in this context has to do with judgment or the chastening of the Lord. Notice verses 29 and 30 where he says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, there's that word, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The Lord's body, of course, would be the church. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So there were some at the church of Corinth who were sickly, and there were some who had died because of this. This is a serious thing. The Lord will not tolerate divisions and heresies in the church. It's a serious matter. So the Lord's table is limited to members of the church, faithful members of the church. And there is to be self-inspection of its members. Notice, Notice again verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves... We should not be judged. So, so we are, as members of Lighthouse Baptist Church, when we partake of the Lord's table, we ought to examine ourselves before God. Is there something in my life, is there something in me that is displeasing the Lord that is causing division in this church? That is leading others astray. That's, that's what heresy is. Leading others astray. For he says, if we would judge ourselves, what we need to do is judge ourselves and confess our sins, then we would not be judged or we would not be condemned by the Lord. Yeah, what does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, that means we have to agree with what God says about it. If we would confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When God forgives us, there's no judgment. And so he, he, he challenges us to, to examine ourselves. There needs to be inspection, self-inspection, so that we are not chastened, verse 32 says, when we are judged, we are chastened the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. And so he, Paul challenges them, brethren, when you come together, eat, tarry one for another. Give consideration one to another. Don't cause division. With one having a, being a glutton and another over here going hungry. And then I want you to notice the fourth thing, the prospect, I guess it's the third thing, the prospect of the Lord's meal, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till we come. So again, the, what the Lord's meal or the Lord's table or communion is all about is to show or remember. It's about remembering. The word show here means to announce, declare, make known, to publicly to proclaim publicly. It's the idea of celebrating or openly praising. And what we're, do, what we're showing is 
We're just showing the Lord's death. Showing two things. The Lord's death and his coming again. Notice again in verse 26. For as often you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So it is the remembrance of his death. We're showing that we remember his sacrificial death, that he is our Passover. He's the one that died in our place, just like that lamb in Exodus and in the Old Testament Israel. That lamb died and shed his blood so that blood could be put over the door, the lentil, and down the side post so the death angel would pass over the house and there'd be no death in that house. And when God looks at Christ, our Passover, he passes over us and we won't have to die and spend eternity in hell. We're no longer under the condemnation of a holy and righteous God. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, it's a remembrance of his death for us. It's not some novel, sentiment experience trying to express our unity one with another and togetherness. No, it's a remembrance. And you know, the funny thing is, when we remember him, you know what we do? We draw closer together. See, the unity isn't created by us. The unity is created by God when we draw near to him. It is also... Remembrance of his coming again. Till he come, verse 26 says. So in the Lord's table, we, sh- we show that we remember also his resurrection. It speaks of a living Savior, a lo- our Lord who will return as he went. You know, Acts 11, when he when he went up, the angel said, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus was taken up of you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So we're showing that we, we believe that he's coming for us again. So by, by participating in the Lord's table, you and I are declaring or celebrating that Jesus Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin by his death on the cross. And praise his name, he arose victorious from the grave, proving himself to be the Son of God with power, which assures us of his return for us and to judge the world in righteousness. You see, it's simply remembering. We're remembering. It's a reminder. It's a reminder to us. It's not imagining. It's not dreaming. It's not channeling or listening or going into neutral or some novel, sentimental, emotional experience of people togetherness. I don't know if that's a word or not. I just made it up. But it's, you know, it's a conscious directing of our mind back to Christ and what he did for us in purchasing our redemption. You know, this is the part I don't understand. You know, the Lord's Supper, if you rightly understood it, the bread and the cup are symbolic of a crucifixion and shedding somebody's blood. That, to me, is not some romantic, emotional experience. It's about a crucified body. It's about execution and death. And also resurrection. But you know, the world always romanticizes religion 
And they've done it with our Lord's Supper. But see, it's simply a time to remember his death has come again. You are, re- are you ready for that coming again? Are you prepared? You know, is your life pleasing to him? And so, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's a time to remember what he did for us and the price that was paid for our redemption. Have you received him?